0: coming up on sleep eat perform repeat
1: and i think we all need somebody to emulate or to that you want to be better than that because it just keeps you wanting to achieve more and more until until you get there
0: that was the voice of our guest today chanel mccoy you can hear more from chanel coming up very soon first we have to say a big thanks to the overarching sponsor of the show Tawara that looks to impact on individual and organizational health and well-being through four key pillars physical mental social and occupational so do make sure to check it out at hawaralife.com h-a-u-o-r-a life.com
1: welcome to sleep eat perform repeat with your hosts david clancy and Kieran dunn
0: this is a podcast about high performance what we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high-performing individuals tick why they do what they do and why they are successful enjoy a journey of stories lessons and learnings
2: today we spoke with lady chanel mccoy ceo of chanel mccoy health and co-founder of Purest cbd chanel is one of ireland's most successful business women, was on dragon's den and is a popular leadership business and motivational speaker her company chanel mccoy health is at the forefront of science innovation with antigen testing for COVID-19 and the purest CBD food supplement products. Chanel has vast experience in the pharmaceutical industry and we discuss why this is the sector she focused on. From humble origins, handing out business cards in France. We discuss CBD, its benefits and evidence, and the positives that have come to our business during the pandemic and what's on the horizon. Married to Sir A.P. McCoy OBE, Chanel shares with us her learnings from her husband about emulation, performance and resilience. Chanel, also renowned for her leadership attributes, opens up on empathy and emotional intelligence and why they are vital now. chanel mccoy thank you very much for coming on the show today we're both really looking forward to speaking with you how have you been doing
1: yeah good we're ap and i and the kids are based here in england so we are pretty much back to normal here you know all the shops and the pubs and we're allowed to eat inside you know and the the mood is is really good in, in the uk as well you know loads of people are vaccinated so yes it's all good
0: so we won't speak too much about what's going on with some delays over here, but what has been the most positive thing that you've experienced over the pandemic?
1: I mean, yeah, l- let's not talk about the leadership of the Irish government because it makes me very cross because actually, you know, I think one of the one of the things that has happened with with my business since with is COVID, it, it raised an opportunity for us to because we're twenty years I'm over 20 years in the pharmaceutical industry, you know, that I got involved in COVID testing, which, which was really interesting. And we partnered up with a company who now is one of only three approved tests in the UK and one of only 15 approved in, in Europe. So it was just really interesting to work with different industries, companies, governments in terms of implementing antigen. And antibody testing—that was great. Um, just obviously very disappointing the way the Irish government still hasn't embraced antigen testing, and how it has literally saved so many companies here closing down. We've seen it firsthand because we were in testing in these in these companies. Also, I suppose when you go back and you look at the opportunities since since COVID has has happened, I think it has challenged a lot of us as leaders about our strategic agility. And, you know, how have we adapted because it has been, we've been unprepared about this. And I launched a business with my business partner, Caroline Glynn, right at the start of COVID. So, you know, we had this lovely strategic plan done and our milestones and our budgets and and it went out the window as soon as COVID hit the media on the 11th of January then obviously we had march you know which which then we started the the lockdown so we had to really rethink our strategy very quickly you know make you more creative make you look at you know where are the opportunities in this so so that was probably one thing that came to light was how strategically agile can we be as leaders what is the most important thing now how do we cope with a crisis and, you know, that was there was a great learning curve for Caroline Nye. You know, the business has done well. We probably could have done better, but we've we've had a lot of learnings out of it and we're coming out the other side of it now.
2: It's kind of it forced you into rethinking as, you know, as Adam Grant would often say, which can help with innovation. Nearly before we go into that, you've been doing this for a while being in this kind of pharma space, innovative space, R&D area, how did you know that that was really what you wanted to focus on for such a long period of time? How did it start?
1: I suppose it goes back to your environment, you know, and, and there is a lot of talk in leadership, you know, how does your environment and where you grow up really influence you as a leader? And, you know, I, I definitely think, and in terms of the path you take, I mean, I was very lucky. I grew up in Loch Ray, County Galway, one of five kids, and as my mom often reminds me, I was the only one of the five kids she never took to the Lockray Ray baby beauty show because I was by far the ugliest child she had. But but we're over that now. It's a bit of a family joke. But my parents set up a pharmaceutical company when we were very young, you know, probably 40 years ago. Uh, I mean, I'm 45 now. So, And as kids, we all worked in that business on a Saturday for our pocket money, sweeping the floors, dusting down shelves, repacking shelves. So... We all, I, you know, I was very much subjected to that kind of talk at at the dinner table, you know, about pharmaceuticals and and about medicine and and business. So I knew nothing else. And every summer holiday, I I worked in the business packing tablets and labelling bottles. So I never wanted to do anything else. I did, when I was in school, think, you know, did I want to be a vet? Did I want to be a doctor? But I just wasn't academically clever enough. And I went down the business route. And I was always kind of interested in that kind of business side of things. So when I, when I finished school and went to college and studied marketing and finance and after college, I kind of thought, you know, I'm ready now to come back to the company, but you know, my parents had other ideas for me, told me to go and work in a, in another pharmaceutical company for a few years and bring something back. And and that's what I did. I went to the UK and I worked for Wyatt Laboratories as a sales rep. It was the best education I got because you have to be quite resilient sometimes as a sales rep because you get a lot of knockbacks and and people can be quite quite rude to you. So it it helps you be more resilient because none of us are born resilient. You know it's not in our DNA. It's like it's like a little muscle we we build up over time. But doing that for a number of years and then coming back into the family business, it was great. And again, just so passionate about pharmaceuticals. I had worked. Wyeth is a is a medicine, a human pharmaceutical. The company we had at home back then was just all veterinary. So I co-founded the medical business with with my parents. And I was very lucky to have responsibility to drive the medical side of the business, whereas my parents would have drove uh, the veterinary side of the business. Over 15 years, and that's where I met my now business partner, Caroline Glenn, that we were able to, with a fantastic team, bring that medical medical business into 96 markets around the world and get over two and a half thousand. Medicine product licenses granted in, I mean, countries from Saudi Arabia to Iraq to Norway to Tasmania, all different places. So, you know, and I just, I was very lucky. Caroline, we worked really well together, just had that mutual respect. She's a, a degree in pharmacology and a master's in biomedical science, which is really, you need a partner who has that science foundation in, in pharmaceuticals. And then in 2015, we started to explore CBD. It wasn't something that was really core strategy for the company in Loch Ray. You know, at that stage, I suppose it was really focused on prescription drugs for humans, also for, for veterinary. So we took the project out of the company and we set up our own company to, to start exploring CBD initially as a prescription drug, but, um, yeah so this is where we are now just in the in the cbd space
0: speaking back to your past and you mentioned resilience it takes a good bit more than resilience to probably have the vision that you have to co-found your company with your parents and then start a new company in a category that doesn't exist in 2015 and to explore it where do you think that curiosity or that drive comes from
1: you know i suppose for me the the one thing that always drove me was like the fear of failure you know And, and that was a a huge motivator, and you know, I suppose back then I was 23 when I joined the family business, and I I was dating my now husband at the time, AP McCoy, who went on to be 20 times, 20 years champion jockey consecutively in the UK, and you know was won the BBC Sports Personality of the Year in the UK, and and was quite well known for his resilience because the amount of falls. That they get as a jockey, and I think somebody did a statistic when he retired that he, he broke his bones over 700 times um, throughout his career. So, for me, I looked at it like culture in an organization. You know that when you are working with somebody, your 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 teammates or your manager, you know you, you emulate their behavior over time, or their behavior rubs off on you and starts to become part of your behavior and your culture. And I think that definitely happened with with AP and I. That kind of sheer dedication, the will to win, never accepting no, never being defeated, get back up there, find a solution. There's a solution to everything. All of those things certainly motivated me and, and kept me going. And he was a big probably influencer on my behavior, my culture as, as I was going through scaling the business and, uh, and, and working in it. So yeah, so I think, I think the people you surround yourself with and, you know, that's why it's important to have mentors. Is, is a big is a big part of how successful you are how you perform or what your culture what your values are as you as you go along and then it's planning and, and having a plan and, and you know how, how are we going to enter markets and what's our sales strategy and you know are we delivering what do we need to execute what are the milestones you know and it's it's really that staying focused I mean I was very lucky that when I went in to join the family business, when i was 23 years old it was very much established in terms of the infrastructure was there you know the accounts department was there the production department was there so it wasn't at that time you know your conventional startup but the fear of failure was there the stakes were high i didn't want to fail in front of the eyes of my parents you know and on my home turf in in Lock Ray. but i mean every business needs customers you know that's at the end of the day it's all about revenue at the start certainly because you need cash flow but you know when when you're when you're out there and you're knocking on doors and and it's very difficult because at that time, you know who was Chanel Medical, who was this Irish girl ringing you know maybe i I was targeting France at the time and trying to get a meeting before I went over there you know they they wouldn't see you, but I used to go over to France anyway, and I used to go to the offices and I' give my business card to the receptionist and I would say, "You know can you ask francois will will he meet me or she meet me and you know, they'd ring up and no, you don't have an appointment. But I used to sit in those reception areas for hours because I thought, you know, that person has to walk past me at the end of the day, leaving the office. And if I could just get like, you know, 10 seconds in front of them, they might let me come back tomorrow and see them. And that's what I did. And that's how I built the business up in a lot of markets back then, you know, 20 years ago. I mean, you probably wouldn't get away with it now, it would probably be like Corpus talking, but there is always a solution. There is always a way. There's always a way in. You know, there's always until you physically sit in front of a customer and you have tried to deliver on every need that they want. And, and, you know, then you can be defeated. You know, you got to get in front of them. You got to do your best pitch. You got to know what they want. You got to make sure that you are giving them what they want, not what you think they want.
2: And that kind of feeds nearly into the, the mindset for Dragon's Den, Chanel. And we'd be curious to say if we're there pitching a new invention that the two of us have created, but yeah. we completely bomb it, doesn't go well. <laughs> and we're trying to understand and build the resilience muscle as well to come back stronger the next time, to get back mm-hmm. on the horse as it were. Yeah. What kind of practice or, or you know, tactics would you you'd have three minutes to take the two of us aside and say, you know, this is what you need to do. This is how you get yourself in the, in the right headspace to come back and approach it and deliver better.
1: You know, I mean, for me, um, actually, it's funny, you know, AP always says you haven't failed. You're just waiting to be great. And I think that's really important because for me, failure is a necessary stepping stone to succeed. And there's so many mistakes that I made, especially back probably in the early years when we were scaling Chanel Medical, that I've been able to now apply to our new business that Caroline and I set up in 2015 you know, the, the, our, our CBD business, which is very much has been a startup business from nothing, having no infrastructure there, you know, not having the luxury of of having the infrastructure from Chanel Pharma. But it's all about root causing, you know, it's, it's where did I go wrong? At what stage? Why did I go wrong? What are the learnings that I can take out of that? And it was never about blame, you know, bl- blame yourself or beat yourself up. Yes, you do. But it was like, there's an opportunity here the mistake i made there is an opportunity because i'm going to learn something from this mistake i'm going to make sure that i'm never going to repeat that mistake again because i'm going to put procedures or processes or i'm going to upscale myself so for me mentoring somebody or helping them pulling them aside it is where do you think you went wrong why do you think you went wrong you know could you have prepared better i think as well when when you talk to maybe younger people and I always say to them, look at who is best in class and strive to be better than them. You know, there's particular brands that I look at now, not particularly in the CBD space, but in maybe outside where I want to be like that in the CBD space. And I say, I'm going to be like that. And then I'm going to be better than them because you need goals to keep focused. Otherwise, you'll float. But actually, I think in Dragon's Den, I mean, it's interesting because I got really good. I got one really good piece of advice going into the den from a very successful Irish entrepreneur. You know, that's the joys of horse racing. You get to meet, um, you know, d- different people from different walks of life. And I said to them, you know, what's the one piece of advice you'd give me? And they said, never invest in a business you know nothing about because you can't add value. You don't understand it. You don't relate to it and you cannot challenge it. And that was my the main piece of advice I took in with me to the den, because there were many pitches that I really, I thought to myself, you know, the the bottom line looks good here. The profitability looks good. But then, I mean, there was one particular pitch in the gaming industry. And I thought to myself, no, hold on a minute, Chanel. And those words came back to me. I don't understand it. I can't relate to it. I can't challenge it. I can't add value. I know nothing about this industry, even though the P&L looks good. Whereas there was other pitches like a children's school book or something. I can relate to that because I have kids and I, uh, you know, so, and I've, I've, I've kind of kept that mantra throughout, you know, if you're going to invest in a business or you're going to advise a business, you have to know something about it. Every business has idiosyncrasies and, you know, regulation or acumen and stuff like that that you need to know.
0: And here's a question. Do you feel it's the same in terms of the CBD sector? So for customers more so than investors that we don't understand it because it's a novel category it's not like let's say you're looking for a plant-based coffee so we know what coffee is we know what plants are so mushroom coffee comes out it's still in an established category for cbd being a whole new sector do you think that's why there's maybe some maybe slowness in the uptake in terms of ireland especially
1: yeah you know look it's a good question and i mean i could talk about cbd um all day because we're, we're six years on the journey now and, um, you know, we're on the market now over a year. We're in over a thousand retailers in, in the UK. Absolutely, there's a massive need for education and awareness because what's happened is there is a lot of rogue products on the market, right? And I can say this because that's backed by papers that have written. I mean, if you look, there was a, a number of revered professors got together in um, April 19 and they've they independently tested 35 CBD products that are currently on the market in the UK and Ireland in retailers. And 55% of those products have illegal levels of THC. Now THC is the psychoactive part of the cannabis plant that gives you a high and and is addictive. You had 34% of product on the market at the moment that has lower levels of CBD than advertised on the label. So that is totally misleading for the public. So, you know, you get somebody who genuinely wants to try CBD, who doesn't want any psychoactive effect, who walks into a high street in Ireland or the UK, buys a CBD, comes home and gets a psychoactive effect. That is a really bad experience for them to have gone through that. And this is why now there is legislation has come in where it's cleaning up the market and You know, and I think if we go back a little bit, because there is confusion with CBD. So you have 500 components of the cannabis plant, and CBD is only one component of 500, right? So, and it is the part of the cannabis plant that is not psychoactive, it is not addictive, you will not get a high from it. Whereas it gets confused sometimes with THC, which is the other quite well known part of the cannabis plant, which, as I said, is psychoactive, you know, will give you a high. So you start with trying to educate people first that CBD is different and it's not psychoactive. But what happens is sometimes people go into a retailer, they buy a CBD product, they get a psychoactive effect because there is illegal levels of THC in the product. I think it's really good that this legislation has come in. It's called Novel Food Approval. It means that the EU and the UK have said, Novel food means it is a food that was never in our food chain prior to 1997. So therefore, you as a CBD company has to go off and you've got to do full safety studies to prove that your product is fully safe in the body. It's not toxic. It doesn't affect your organs, all of that. So we did that. As soon as that legislation came out, we went and we spent 1.5 million on safety clinical studies and presented it to Ireland and the European Commission and, and, and the UK and we're under assessment now. We were the first company to come on the market in the UK and Ireland that's fully backed by safety clinical studies. So our product is fully safe um, on the market. And where ours is a little bit different is, as I mentioned, there you have 500 components of the cannabis plant. It's very difficult to get ultra pure CBD, um, and we are targeting those cohort of people who just genuinely want CBD. They don't want any psychoactive effect or anything else. They don't want the entourage effect. They don't want full spectrum with pollutants and pesticides and terpenes and flavonoids and all the other stuff. And I'm not disrespecting the plant. It absolutely has its place. But for what our kind of values were is an ultra pure CBD where you're guaranteed it's safe and you're not going to get a psychoactive effect. What we did with our raw material is we didn't take it from the cannabis plant. We we originate from Two natural citrus sources and we then mimic the DNA of the cannabis plant. So we are produced in a lab environment. It is the only way that you can guarantee your product is ultra pure and there's nothing else in it. Some plant people might say, oh, but you know, that's not really natural. And you know, you've, you've gone into a lab environment and manufactured it, but actually 99% 99% of vitamin C on the market today is synthetically produced, right? And people don't realize it. Also, when you have a plant product and you're trying to make CBD from the plant, you have obviously have to extract the CBD. There is very rigorous methods of extraction that plant companies use. They extract using alcohol, CO2. So that can go through a very coarse chemical process to get the CBD out of it so in a nutshell we are the first to come on the market fully backed by safety clinical studies we are absolutely ultra pure we have clinically proven we have just CBD in our product that's I suppose where where we are now in our journey and we're a food supplement we're getting very good anecdotal feedback on how it helps with sleep getting to sleep having less disturbed sleep arthritic kind of pain because it's a very powerful anti-inflammatory and kind of general coping anxiety. These are all word of mouth. We haven't proven th- these in a clinical setting. We have started phase two clinical studies and we're doing it in the area of sleep and insomnia because we are getting so much feedback from people about how it is helping sleep, but we want to prove that that in a clinical setting
2: we love the rigor we love hearing <laughs> the evidence the science the white papers because we can all think of uh, you could go out there and buy a can and there might not yeah. be an awful lot in that can we don't have to name brands here and of course there's different athletes that might sponsor certain cbd products but as to what is exactly in them it makes it so interesting
1: it's an interesting point because yesterday it came out that anthony joshua Was, was an ambassador to a CBD product, quite a well-known CBD product in the UK. It's a plant product. And I, I looked at all of the, the press releases, not in one place does it say, does Auntie Joshua say he actually consumes the product? He doesn't talk about, does he take it? What strength he takes? Does he take it at night? How, you know, nothing. Because at the end of the day, Auntie Joshua is an elite athlete. He, he, no CBD product in the world yet is informed sports certified. So every elite athlete at the moment has to, should only take supplements that are informed so certified. So I just thought to myself, that is quite misleading to have somebody like Auntie Joshua get behind a brand, but they're actually not even physically consuming the product because they can't, because it's, they're an elite athlete. Now we have. We're very lucky. We have Mike Tindall, who's our brand ambassador because he loves, genuinely loves the product. He talks about what he takes. He takes the high dose oil at night. He takes two capsules in the morning. He talks that he has never had less disturbed sleep. He's getting full night sleeps and he's having less aches and pains. We've got Martine McCutcheon, who was in love. Actually, she's an actress, a singer, gorgeous girl. And she talks about how it really helps with her fibromyalgia. These are people who've been taking the product for months, who then we approached and said, we know you're taking our product. Do you like it? Would you like to talk about the experience? I mean, I'm, I'm lucky my husband, AP, takes it, you know, but he's the biggest cynic and he, he loves it. This industry, CBD, it's about trust. It's about giving consumers genuine guidance and, and it's safe and it absolutely works And that's why, you know, we didn't go down the road of like gifting a load of influences and all that, because what's that about? That's a token post. They don't even take the product properly. They're not even really feeling the effects or the benefits. You know, you want people behind the brand who genuinely, it is genuinely working for them and they believe in it.
2: Chanel, where did the passion for CBD come from? Because we can hear it as clear as day coming through here.
1: Do you know... A few ways, right? One is you talk to people who are on significant, who are on painkillers all their lives now. They're on tramadol, they're on morphine. They're getting constipated. They're having a psychoactive effect. You know, they can't drive, struggling at work. You know, you've got people on long-term paracetamol. You know, that's that's toxic. You know, long-term. And I just thought to myself, wouldn't it be lovely to try and bring out a painkiller? Are something that may help. Sorry, it's, and I have to say, right, we are still a food supplement. We are making progress to get up into the medicine space because you know that's why we're investing so much money to clinical studies. You know, I thought to myself, there has to be something in in this in the cannabis plant and CBD, and it's non psychoactive. You know, and 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 that's really where I, I thought you know there's an unmet need for kind of a safe, um, non psychoactive CBD product that could potentially help pain it's a very powerful anti-inflammatory. There's loads of literature out there in the domain to to talk about why it's a powerful inflammatory. And then, you know, you hear the likes of Vera Toomey back, you know, 2014 and 15, talking about how this CBD was massively helping her daughter, how she couldn't get her hands in it, you know, that it was being treated absolutely like a drug. But again, it was the total ignorance of the Irish government where they were confusing it with THC, which is psychoactive, you know, and... So I just thought I'm in the pharma industry, you know, I I have access to this, I I can do this, I can bring a product to market, I know how to bring a product to market, I know how to find the best raw material, I know how to do clinical studies. You know, let's start off as a food supplement. And let's try and make this accessible to people. Um, You know, so now that we're on the market as a food supplement, and we're getting this really uh, really good feedback from people about how it's helping in so many different ways that now Caroline and I are really motivated to say, right, well, let's go to the next step. Let's let's bring it as a medicine, you know, and let's do more clinical studies. And we we had a really interesting conversation with someone who's very senior in pain in Oxford Hospital on Monday, you know, and, and it was just, you know, every, everybody is starting to look at it seriously now, like consultants in the likes of Oxford, they're looking for a potential alternative to pain, potential alternative to maybe an antidepressant, you know, something that is not going to give, you know, people a psychoactive effect or have a lot of side effects. But again, it all needs to be proven clinically. And that's why we want to do more studies. So that's kind of, you know, more the clinical side and, you know, how it can help and and how it will become very popular in the future. And when, when Caroline and I left Chanel Pharma in 2015, and, you know, we had, gone into 96 markets back then and we you know loads of customers and friends that we built up and and a lot of those pharma companies were really surprised that we were leaving the prescription industry and we were going into something like CBD I mean it was kind of nearly frowned upon I mean they were they really weren't that impressed and it's funny it is those pharma companies big pharma companies that are back now at the table with us to say you know, that you know that product you were working on, that molecule, you know, all those clinical studies that you were doing and all this good data. Well, actually, we're really interested because we now know there's so much clinical evidence coming out of how it can help with, you know, potentially pain, anxiety, sleep. Can we have your product? We want your product for Europe. We want to bring your product up into the medicine space. We want to license it. So it's really exciting now, especially in the last nine months, you know, having these conversations with big pharma. Where they, I mean, we look. Caroline, and I this is a small company. We will never have the infrastructure to bring this product properly to market. Outside, you know, in Europe, pan-European, global, we need to partner with companies. And it's really exciting that big pharma want the product. They see now that it is genuinely the 700 clinical trials going on at the moment within big pharma for CBD. So that will tell you it potentially is a drug of the future. Yeah,
2: and like what's ringing through for us is, you know, we're here as physios experiencing sports medicine, orthopedics, healthcare, and pain, right? Pain relief. How can we combat pain? How can we help modulate pain? How can we, mm. I suppose, give somebody something that can help as an adjunct? Like we even know a very well known sports medicine professor over in Florida and gets in with professional sport, and he's trying to bring just education into different sports there, and yet he's still finding. The barrier and this is with athletes who have had knee hip arthroscopy surgeries replacements tendon problems so there's such a huge gap i think to definitely push this in the medicine space it's great to hear
1: yeah I, and i think the the problem with the u.s and this this quite surprised us is obviously you know the food and medicine in the u.s is governed by the fta and they would probably be known as probably the strictest food and medicine sheriffs in the world and I do commend Europe and the UK. They have actually properly legislated CBD as a food supplement. You know, they want to bring an unregulated market CBD food supplement into a regulated market. They have issued guidelines. It's very clear to CBD companies. You need to do X, Y and Z studies. You need to submit it in. We assess it and we give you a novel food approval, right? Whereas the US have done nothing to regulate CBD as a food supplement. At the moment in the US... CBD as a food supplement is banned. It's not permitted. It's not legal. What you see on the market in the US is you'll see a product. It'll say CBD. It'll say supplement. It won't have the word food in it. And nowhere on the packaging will tell you that you can orally ingest it. So that's how they've kind of got around this. And we've engaged with the FDA, you know, and said, look, I mean, you're way behind Europe and the UK. All you need to do is issue some guidelines to CBD companies like us to tell us how we can come on the market legitimately in the US with the food supplement, using the word food, telling people to orally ingest it. There's a lot of work to be done in the US because on the other side of it, they have gone and legalized cannabis, marijuana with THC in a lot of states, yet they haven't legislated how to bring a CBD food supplement to market. It's bizarre.
0: It's funny that you're facing into these barriers as well and you seem to have that drive that resilience it's shown even when you're just speaking to us here about the market ahead and the challenges you face in terms of what you've experienced was there any one big challenge that you felt really changed the way you go about your business or the way your career path ultimately the road it took
1: I think covid has has thought me personally a lot as well you know and how business Will change how it has changed the way of doing business. Um, you know, and, and definitely, you know, we've launched a business. We've spent 18 months, you know, we've got into a thousand retailers and we have not met one customer face to face. You know, we've, we've built a brand and developed artwork and all the design and everything like that. Everything has been done virtually. And my, Opinion is business will never go back to the way it was pre COVID. You know, Caroline and I were on and off flights every week, flying here, flying there. You know, there's, it's not necessary. Business can be done very effectively and efficiently. A lot of business can be done remotely. And certainly you will probably spend, you know, you definitely will spend time out on the road again, back face to face meetings because. You know, now we're starting to have these in the UK and it's very exciting, but they will be less because there will be so much work You, we, we know we can do without those kind of face-to-face meetings. You know, and I think as well, you, we've learned how to sell differently. You know, we, we, we've learned how, you know, maybe even with pharmacies, you know, we deal with a lot of pharmacies and actually pharmacies really like the telephone interaction. You know, they like Zooms because... You know, and, and I suppose the focus is definitely now more online for us, and you know, probably less in store. And there's, yeah, so there's a few things that that I've learned that where business won't go back probably to the way it was, and how we'll sell differently, how we'll engage with our suppliers differently, and and how sorry, how important communication is now virtually, because even with the team you're working with and everyone's working remotely, and we don't have that interaction, it it is so important now to be able to pick up the phone every week, touch base with your team, how are they getting on? Because you're not meeting them in the corridors. And I think some managers, what, what we've seen now is, you know, leaders we talk to, those who are not very good communicators are not, they're not, their Their teams are not really engaged. Those managers who don't really like picking up the phone on a Friday evening and going, listen, how was your week? Just touching base. Everything okay? Everything okay at home? How are the kids? They don't like that. And Those teams are struggling because they're not getting that communication from their leader or, you know, potentially from some of their peers because the leader is not instilling that culture in the team. You know, pick up the phone, touch base, get on the Zoom, have a quick five, 10 minutes. So we've learned that as well, how important that is to to have empathy. You know, and, and I mean, you see the science coming out now about leadership. What is the most important leadership trait? It is now empathy is now regarded as the most important leadership trait, leadership trait as opposed to visionary or strategic and all that. And it totally makes sense because it's about caring about the human being, not just about the output. It's about caring how they're getting on working at home, you know, their environment you know, what, what potentially could be hampering them in terms of being productive. And people will respond better when they feel you actually care about them, not just about their output.
2: And mind reading, Chanel, because that was the question I was going to be asking, was the advice for a businessman, businesswoman starting off now. But as you've answered that eloquently, my last question for you, Chanel, is really what's next for you? You've learned so much, you've done so much. What has been a turbulent challenging but opportunistic time what's next
1: i mean i've learned so much because i've probably made lots of mistakes along the way on how not to do things and how to do things definitely our key strategic goal for caroline and i in our business right now is is to bring our product you know our product is a food supplement it's purest, ultra pure cbd that's what we're called you know we, we want to bring it up into the medicine space. We want to get a prescription license, a medicine license for our product. You know, we absolutely still, we will have our product at a food supplement that will be at the lower strength, at 20, 30, 40 milligrams a day. You know, but where we want to bring it is up into 100, 200, 300 milligrams a day where it's a prescription product. You know, we have proved an incredible safety profile on our product with all the studies we've done. And that's really where we, we'd we love to see it because there is only one company in the world that has CBD licensed as a medicine. And we would love to be the second company in the world to have CBD licensed as a medicine. That's what's next for Caroline Nye. I. I mean, we are literally all this week sitting doing our five year Projections, our five-year P&L, our five-year cash flow—you know—and it's all the money is going into R&D because that's, you know, that's what we—that's where we we want to take the company, and we won't stop till we get there, and we will get there because there is always a way to get there.
0: And we certainly don't doubt you either. Uh, the last question that we ask everybody that comes on the show, and I think what a perfect person to ask considering what we've just heard about starting a company facing into such challenges as a pandemic, being so agile, be having that vision to get through it. What does high performance mean to you, Chanel?
1: For me, and I talk about people being a high achiever. I talk to my kids, you, you need to want to be a high achiever, right? You know, and for me, you know, a high performer and I, you know, and, and because it's about how do you become a high, high performer? And how do you consistently stay a high performer? It's about having goals. It's about having that tactical plan underneath the goal. How am I going to get there? Right. You know, I want to do X. Okay, that's fine. Great. I've got my goal. How am I going to get there? What's my roadmap? It's been very focused. It's about looking at, you know, like I look now at my daughter in show jumping. She's 13. She is. She's quite like AP in terms of her determination, her obsession. She's not happy until she's winning. You know, last year, it was all about getting on the team, the English team. I just want to ride for England. I'm thinking, she's 12. There is no chance she's going to get on the English team. This is what I'm saying to myself. I've just, we've just come back from a trip. You know, she's on the English team. She wins gold, you know, and I've just came home and I said to AP, how did that happen? The last six months, how the hell did she get herself from where she was onto the English team and then actually winning gold? Like, that's just... You know, crazy, and he just said because she is so determined and she's got goals, and she is not happy until she's got there. So, sorry, I don't. I'm not begging my daughter up at all, and it could be just a fluke. That, Put that money, on her. Her. Put money on her. Money on her. She won't go. But you know, so so being a high achiever again, you're just you're not born. It's not in your DNA. You know, you you got to plan it. You got to have milestones. You got to celebrate the list of successes on the way. You never, don't ever become complacent because there's someone that's going to be better than you right behind you. But you look at who is best in class. You get there. And when you get there, you then become better than them. AP always talks about when he came over to England first, he used to watch Richard and Woody all the time. And all he used to say was, I want to be like Richard. And he'd sit in the wear room beside him. He'd watch everything. He'd watch what time he'd come into the wear room, what time he'd leave, what he'd drink, everything. And when he got to where, got to that level, he was like, well, I'm now going to be better than Richard and Woody. And I think we all need somebody to emulate or to, that you want to be better than that because it just keeps you wanting to achieve more and more until, until you get there.
2: Sean McCoy, we really enjoyed that, got an awful lot from that. Um, Thank you very much for your time. Really grateful for it. Learned an awful lot and wishing you the absolute very best moving forward with all your endeavors, especially in the CBD space. We'll be watching that.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really chuffed because it is a fantastic podcast and I, I, I love listening to, to uh, the people here on it. So hopefully people will, will enjoy my story. Thank you.
0: Definitely will. Thanks a million. Thank you. Okay.
1: Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com spelt H-A-U-O-R-A-Life.com Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan